0: We're beginning a new series in this new year, and you see these puzzle pieces. You're a piece of the incredible puzzle is how we're going to frame it. And we're doing a couple different things as we begin the series. We're actually going to be launching a new vision and new mission and new values statements for our church in this new year. And um, we want you to be aware of those things. We want you not just to be aware of them, but as we continue to develop ministry as a church, that we do so mindful that that there has to be sort of something that we're moving towards. And we've worked together as leadership. I'll share some of that with you in a moment. We've worked together to discern where God is moving among us, what sort of of, um, gifts he's given us, where he's already been at work in our community and in the surrounding community, and, and we want to grab a vision for ministry that is, is where God is at work. And as we've discerned that together, we've, we've come to decide that some of our vi- vision and mission statements and our, and our values, they're good, very good statements, things that people worked very hard on in years past, and, and we value them. But at the same time, we want to be sort of um, contemporary to what God is doing now. And some of those things are years and years old. We want to sort of rephrase them in a way that speaks to what God is at work doing here in the river. As many of you know, there's lots of new people here. There's lots of new gifts and abilities and lots of things that the Spirit is leveraging for the kingdom of God. And we want to sort of um, recognize God's movement in those things and then work with them to grow our ministry. And so as we share, as I share this message this morning for first John chapter 3. What you're hearing this morning is our new vision for ministry, and it's not a new vision in the sense of this is going to be completely unfamiliar to you. It's not going to be unfamiliar at all. These are things that we've already talked about, but the way that we're phrasing it and the way that we want to present it is new. So that's what you're going to be hearing more about not only today and next week, but in the weeks and months ahead. So, if you would turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. We'll start off this new year talking about God's primary interaction, His His fundamental interaction with His creation, and that is with His love in our lives and what that does in what His calling is um, for how we live in the world that He has given to us. 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, Old Testament story, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. I want to read that verse again. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions, sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Starting last August, um, we started this process of discussing what a new vision for ministry is here at the river. That came out of us evaluating last year's ministry and what we did with our whole series over the course of the year. We did some evaluation, and then we started to ask him questions. Okay, what's next? And came to the point of saying, well, maybe it's, it's time to look at a vision and mission and values for ministry that are framed more in the sense of who we are. So we met up uh, in the mountains at um, Big Bear, for a couple days with the council of the church, Those, that's the elders and myself, and then eventually others joined us from the staff, and we spent significant time talking about who we are as a congregation, who the river is. And what we came to the point of saying is, we needed to do some work to cast a vision for ministry for the future that 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 is reframed in light of the changes and the transformation that we've seen God uh, as among us as His people. And so, through a whole series of discussions, both at the council level and a number of a num- uh, uh, among a number of the leaders of the pastoral staff, we came to the point of, of creating some new statements, some statements that you're going to hear over these next several weeks and months ahead. And our desire for these things is to pose the question of everything that we do. Does this fit the vision for ministry that we believe that God has given us as the river? Do we, do we think that everything that we do in children's ministry and everything we do in youth ministry and everything we do in adult ministry and everything we do in our outreach ministry and in our worship ministry and all over and everything that we do, does this fit the vision? And if it doesn't fit the vision, the mission, and the values for ministry that we have, why is it that we're doing it? Is there perhaps something that needs uh, to no longer be done so that we can concentrate on those things that God has given us and God is working among, God is working in so that really we're active where God is and not just doing something because it's something that we know how to do or something that maybe we simply like to do or something that we've done just in the past and and so we're going to keep doing it. And we really feel compelled by the Spirit, and we see God at work in this, to ask those questions of all of our ministry, do some ministry evaluation. In fact, I'm spending time even right now looking at all the job descriptions among our staff and saying, how do we craft these job descriptions and fit these people into the right work um, so that really what they're doing enhances and engages in the vision for ministry that we believe the Spirit is equipped in us. So as we were doing this, obviously we spent time in the text of Scripture. And it became really clear to me very quickly that the fundamental engagement for us as the river, as we interact with each other and with the community around us, is is love. And it's God's love. And it's how God has shown His love to us and how we then become a means of showing God's love to the world. And, of course, you know, some of you are going to say, well, okay, that's simple, that's basic, that's easy, or or it's, it's clear. But you know what? I've come to understand that that's actually really hard. It's really hard to love in a world that we live in. And as I was studying and as I was spending time in the text, I come to this passage from 1 John 3. In 1 John 3, we get a picture of how God calls his people to love. Now, there's some debate about where this letter was written to, but it's very possible it was written to the church in Ephesus. And this is a church that is again surrounded by a, a pagan culture, it's surrounded, the, this group of believers is surrounded by, by a culture that, that worships other gods and is engaged in a lot of different life activity that really does not reflect a picture of what God's kingdom is, you know, things is from sacrifice to temple prostitution to a whole bunch of different things. And you can imagine these believers set in those sort, that sort of context, there would be tension between them and the culture that they are called to love. And they're trying to figure out, how do you do that? How do you do that with people who are doing things that you really fundamentally disagree with? Because God is calling you to a different life, a new life. God is calling you in obedience to pursue His will, His commands. And these people aren't doing that. How do you love them? How do you love people that you really disagree with that you don't approve of their behavior and when we think about it that way it becomes hard to love see these believers may have been ridiculed in fact i'm sure they were they were despised even says it in the text the world will hate you demonized because they celebrated the Lord's Supper, or something we're going to do later on. This was actually a, a, a considered a revolutionary act. You were, you were actually eating someone's body. I mean, this is... People would say this about believers. They're, they're pagans because they're eating someone's body in communion. So you can see how the culture would have, would have said some of these things, and because it would have said some of these things, it would have rejected them. So you're a believer trying to love somebody who is rejecting you. But God's call to love others was still paramount to their faith. It's still the command. It's still there. Love somebody even if you don't agree with what they're doing. Mm. It gets hard. How hard would that have been for them? Trying to imagine maybe you have one convert in a family and this family is still engaged in pagan ritual, still engaged in previous religious or or previous religious activities or maybe they're simply engaged in doing things that you don't agree with and yet you are called to love within your family these people that you don't agree with what they're doing and some of you know just how hard that is. Because you live in families or you interact with people that you don't agree with what they're doing. You don't approve of their behavior. But I'm going to tell you, simply because something, someone is doing something that you believe is not obedient to God doesn't mean you can't love them. That's why I read verse 15 twice. Verse 15 says, If anyone would hate another, they're a murderer. And there is no place in eternal life for them. The command still stands. No matter how we feel about the behavior of those around us, what they believe, what they think, what they do, means that fulfilling the vision for ministry that God has given us becomes really hard. This is hard work. To love another is not a simple thing. And as a vision for ministry that we engage with in a river, don't just say that, oh, we're called to love another, that that's simply going to be easy to do because it's not going to be easy to you. I can guarantee you there's a lot of difficult work ahead. That's okay. I'll tell you why in a moment. We know how hard it is to love others. We know in some of the dialogue that is in our culture right now between, well, something that's fairly contemporary, the homosexual community and the evangelical church. Thank you very much, Phil Robertson. We have this discussion that's come up. And how do we interact with a community that, in many ways, we see God's Word teaching something that, that, that we, we want to stand for and yet we're called to love. We're not called to stand in judgment or condemnation or hatred because hatred has the consequence of not receiving the gift of eternal life. It's a murdering action, as it says in the text. Oh boy. i got to tell you, over the last couple weeks as this whole thing is sort of played out, I have had somewhat even of a crisis of understanding in my own life. I've read numerous blog posts and at the end of some I want to cheer and then 10 minutes later I go back and read it again and I want to shake my fist because I'm trying to figure out how do we love in these difficult contexts where we see God calling us to obedience and living life in a certain way, and yet we see world or culture or people or or people that we know, people that are in the family, people that that are in the church, behaving outside of what we see God command. How do we show love? Man, that's hard. This is complex. Navigating this demands discernment and wisdom that, frankly, I simply don't have. I've realized that. I've realized as I've thought about this whole issue, I I don't know how to do this well. I don't know how to have a dialogue that speaks the truth. In love! Because that's what we're called to do. I don't know how to interact with some of these challenging things. We live in a context where it's hard to love others because of many things. Sometimes people are angry with Christians. It can be for many different reasons. Past history with the church, the way the church interacts with particular issues, the way that certain Christians have transmitted the gospel in what I believe to be an unbiblical fashion. Some people have heard us. So it's hard to love them. When you feel the pain of rejection or when you feel the pain of abuse or when you feel the pain from somebody else of of the hurt that they have caused in your life, it's hard to love. And some people are just plain ornery. There are difficult people in our lives, aren't there? There are people who, when we try to love them, it's like trying to hug a porcupine because every time there's a little poke or a little piece of pain that you get because you're, just try- you're trying to show love, but their words, their actions, the way they interact with you makes you never want to go back there again. But the command stands. The command stands. Love one another. Love one another. You know I'm a soccer guy. Always have been. I truly believe that soccer is God's sport and will be played in heaven to the exclusion of all others. Years ago, when I was coaching high school girls soccer, I, very competitive, and I'm a very laid-back coach. You can well imagine. Quiet on the sidelines. Don't get fired up too much. And um, we, I was coaching a very good team. Still is a very good team. And um, we had to, we'd finished the regular season, and we were now going to the playoffs at the end of the season. And when you go to playoffs in high school, what you have is a thing called seeding. And seeding is where they look at all the records of all the different teams and all the different leagues of the section that you are in, and they seed those teams according to the first, the best team, the team that they think is the best team, and the team that they think is lowest, in that. and then they set up the playoff brackets around that seeding thing. And those seeding meetings are really interesting. I mean, it's like Congress. It's so political, it's just ridiculous. Everyone's jockeying for position. Everyone's trying to make their statement about their team. And so I'm at the seating meeting with some heavies sitting at the table in front, the ones who are going to make the decision, and I'm sitting with a number of coaches that are in my league, and I'm sitting with one guy in particular who I know because he, he coaches at the other Christian school in my league. And we've interacted a couple times. He's an okay guy. But we've, we've interacted a couple times, and we're real close as teams go. I mean, our records are awfully close. Um, our, our talent level is awfully close. And I think we were battling either for the second seed or the third seed because there was a team that was definitely the first place seed. And the second and third seed are actually really important in this particular seeding bracket, because if you get the third seed, it means if you win your first game at home, you have to play your second game on the road. We didn't want to do that. We wanted to play our second game at home, and that's what you got if you got the second seed. So it's time to determine the second seed, and these arguments are being laid out. Is it going to be this coach from the other Christian school, or is it going to be our school? And we're sitting there, and we're talking about our records and how our team plays and all that other sort of stuff, and one of the statements that was made by one of the people, the heavy sitting at the table up there, do you have any common opponents that you both played that can tell us which team is better? And I said, yes, we did. And he said, no, we didn't. I said, yes, we did. Remember that one school? We played them and we beat them three to nothing. And you tied them one one. And he said, no, we didn't. And what I looked and saw was that he had given them his record of his team and omitted that game. He knew that that was going to be the clincher for the second seed. I was very laid back and calm about it. (laughs) I, for a moment, hated that guy. I hated that guy. I hated him because he lied. I hated him because he took winning or being in a position to win more seriously than he took telling the truth, than he took being an example, being a witness. You know, when you carry on your sweatshirt that you wear a seating meeting, Central Valley Christian, that you carry the name of Christ into those places. And I gotta tell you, I was so ticked at that guy. And after that, I left the meeting without saying another word to him because I was so angry because they got the second seed, We got the third seed. We ended up beating them. But about two weeks later, after the season was over, he called me, and he asked for forgiveness. And he said, I I truly am sorry. And I, I, I believe that, and I did give him forgiveness. And then we began to talk. And what I found out was, I found out more of his story. Not only was his job as a coach in jeopardy at his school, but his job as a teacher at that school was in jeopardy. And he really didn't have any other opportunities. There was a whole lot of stuff that was going on that I wasn't aware of. And as I began, I think we probably had an hour-long conversation. And over the course of that conversation, and I don't believe he was feeding me a line even remotely. I think what he was speaking to me was the truth in that instance. I began to, instead of hating him like I did that day when I lost the second seed, to actually have some compassion. Because this guy was actually in a pretty tight spot. But I'll tell you what. That didn't come easily. That compassion took work. That compassion took a long conversation. With instead of me telling him what I thought he needed to hear. Which I really wanted to do. took me listening to really what his heart was took a whole lot of work. And i got to tell you, I can hold this one up, which is what we pastors do with sermon illustrations when we've done something good. There's too many other places where I haven't done that. Where my ears to love, my, my, my desire to listen, my desire to hear the heart of another has not engaged enough to come to the point of being able to share love with them. That's happened too many other times. In this case, praise be to God, we could come to a better place than we were before. Because love takes work, especially when the people that we are called to love have hurt us, that it's, it makes us angry, or there's, there's pain there. And I can tell you this, that it's in, in this interaction with this coach, I know how this happened. I know how... I got to the place where I could show compassion. And it wasn't because of Scott Elgersma, who's a really great guy. In fact, if it were up to Scott Elgersma, I would have taken him behind the barn and given him a what-up. It was because of what God did in me. Because that's what the text says. That's what we clearly see in the text. We see clearly, first of all, that loving is not easy. Look at these verses, verse 13. You're going to have people that you're called to love who will hate you. It's not that they won't like you very much. They won't get along with you. They will hate you. Command is still called to love. You're going to have people who are needy. You ever tried to love someone who is really needy? You know how hard that is? Hard that is when every single phone call that you get that get from them, comes with some sort of tug. They want you to do this for them. They need you to help them with this. They're hurting because of this. And every single time you're on the phone with them, it feels like they're sucking the energy and the life out of you. And yet, the call is to love those in need. The command still stands. In short, if we're going to think about loving another, it really is. Does take work. It takes work even beyond a simple trite comment or statement that we make, may you know God's love. It takes us instead engaging in relationship, sitting and having in conversation. Oh, it's not a namby, pamby, sissy, la, la, pom pom girl kind of love. Please hear me here. The love that God has given us in His Word bled. Jesus bled to show God's love. God's love is not something that is just about some nice sentimentality. I love sushi. It's not like that. To love another who is hard to love, especially, demands sacrifice. The text is clear on that. Sacrifice. Giving up of ourselves. Serving another in how we love them. This is really, really, really hard work. But I'll tell you something. The reason why I think that this is the vision for ministry that God has given us, is because I know we're capable of it. As a community of faith, we've shown this already in many different contexts. God be praised. And I know that there are some of you who say, okay, we've done some of this stuff. I need a break. And I'm telling you, you know what? We're not going to get one. It's going to continue to be hard to do this in the world that we live in, in the world that you live in. It's going to continue to be work to love one another with the love that you and I have been given in Jesus Christ. There's no breaks here because the command still stands. Now, some may read this and say, well, it says brothers... And brothers is, with, is within the church. Well, let me challenge you here a little bit. Some would say it mean, brothers just means other believers. But who is not a brother who has, like us, been created in the image of God? Who, who around this planet is not your brother? Is the, is the Muslim your brother? Are you willing to say yes? Is the Muslim your brother? Is the person who seeks to kill you as a Christian your brother? You ready for that one? Is the hardest person that you know, the person who has abused, the person who has hurt, is that your brother or your sister? What's the answer? Yes. Because they too are created in the image of God. See why this gets really hard? But you and I don't do this on our own. Because remember, if it were on our own, I'm taking somebody behind the barn. If it were just me trying to do this, it would get messed up. But look at the last verse of the text. Look at the last verse of chapter 3. Those who obey His commands live in Him and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by what? The Spirit that He has given us. You are never on your own in seeking to show the love of God to the world around you. Even those who are so very, 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 very hard to love. And there's a couple of varies that I didn't give you. The Spirit is at work in you. If you know the work of Jesus Christ, the redemption that He has given you in the cross, in His in his, his arrest, in His torture, in His crucifixion, in sitting on the cross. You have been given the Spirit through that work of Jesus, and because you have given that work, that's that Spirit's presence. It is possible for you to love others who even are so very difficult. Why? Because if the Spirit is with you, that's what God did for you. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Christ showed His love for you. So as you and I exercise. Love through the Spirit's presence, the Spirit's power that has been given to us. We are exercising exactly the sort of love that God showed to us in rescuing us from ourselves. This is sort of the pay it forward. God did this for you. Now go and do it for the world that He has given you. And again, that's hard. I get it. There's some of you who are sitting there cursing me in your brain because you're thinking to yourself, well, that means I got to go back to that relationship. I got to go back to that person and actually have another conversation with them. Yes, maybe. I'm not saying that we're unhealthy people, that we just let anyone into our boundaries. We love one another with healthy boundaries. In healthy, we want to be a healthy community and exercise love in a healthy way. We have to do it in wisdom and discernment. But it means that we never stop trying to do it. You and I never pull back from those things so much that we can't in some way, shape, or form show love to the world that God has given us. Otherwise, we are acting in hatred, not love. And we see that consequence in the text. Now, as we think about this for ourselves, here's, what I want you to, here's where I want you to go. As you and I, as we trust more fully of, in the work of redemption, the redemption of Christ in our lives, it does become easier to love. As we see our own sin needing Christ's work and transformation and redemption and understand just how broken we are, we can show compassion to others because we realize they're in the exact same place that we are. They need Christ's work just as much as we do. And as we see God transform us, then we can begin to trust that God can do that in the lives of those around us. No matter how far gone we might think they are, they're never too far gone for God's love. And maybe that's exactly what God is calling you to be and do in their lives. You are called to be that love that will do the impossible. That will transform. That will bring peace. That will... Clarify the truth of Jesus Christ and that He is their hope, their life, just as He is for you. In fact, I'll say this. If we are not loving others, it's a spiritual issue for you to address in your own life, in your own life, in our own lives. If there are people that you can't love, if you can't love the Muslim in some way, shape, or form. If you can't pray that God is at work in their lives because you think that they have rejected God, if, you, if you're in that space, then I believe that's a spiritual issue. You got work to do. If you can't love the homosexual or the lesbian, to pray for them, to maybe even seek to be an encouragement and a blessing, that's a spiritual issue. And you, not them, you have work to do. Because as we see God's work in our lives, we are more able to love and more deeply able to love. And praise be to God as we understand God's love for us in Christ. We are able to grasp how to show that love to others that may even be the hardest to love. I believe very strongly that there are people in here who God will call. God is calling. God is equipping to love people who are very hard to love. To love those who are a part of the abortion industry. I know there are people who are active in that sort of ministry. To love people who are part of various communities that we may not agree with or be excited about engaging with, that God is calling, and God is calling you to engage in love in your family, even maybe it's your dad or your mom, maybe it's your son or your daughter, your brother or your sister that person that you've always had burrs as you have tried to interact with them. You've always had pain. There's always been struggle. And God is calling you to renew again your hope for them because God has hope. God has life for you and I as we engage in that. Maybe that relationship will not be reconciled, but maybe in the process what you will learn about yourself Will equip you for something else in the future that God has for you. And all of this stuff, this is the greatest work of God in us. As He creates in us the ability to love more deeply, His kingdom grows, the true kingdom. Not the political Christian kingdom, not the cultural Christian kingdom that we see so often at work in blogs and in all these sorts of of statements that get made and and the press and all that other sort of stuff. The real kingdom. The real kingdom that says that anyone who walks through that door knows when they walk in here that they will experience love. And that when we go out from this place and engage and interact with whatever organization, any person, any group, any any family member, any neighbor, that they can have the expectation that as we engage with them, that they will experience the love of God in Christ as it has been shown to us. I want to share with you now our new vision statement for ministry. And if you're really good, if you want a gold star, you'll memorize it. You'll memorize it, and maybe you'll even make it more a part of who you are. I'm working on it. I'm, these things are becoming part of my vocabulary. They're becoming part of the stories that I tell. They're becoming things through which I see just about everything in ministry. Terry, would you put it up, please? Our vision is to see a people inspired by God's love and faithfully sharing that love with the world. We understand that God's love is his primary means of interacting with us and that love carries energy, power, movement in us to go and faithfully share that. The reason we put faithfully there is we're going to stay in step and in tune with God's word. We are going to stay in tune and in step with what the Spirit is doing in us, that obedience component. We want to faithfully, we're not going to water anything down. We're not going to to become lukewarm Christians, fluffy things. We're going to become, we're faithful Christians. But that faithfulness will be shown to the world around us through the love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. Beth, I'm going to go out of order here. That's okay. Which brings us to this. This table is the primary means in which we understand sacramentally God's love for us. Baptism is where we understand God as covenant, the primary means. And yeah, they're both at work here, and I know there are some who would say they're equally so, but when we see God's love at the table, it shows itself to us in the simple elements of bread and juice, signifying the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We see in these things that God's love does, it has teeth to it. Teeth so much that what needed to be done was something that He was willing to do for us. He was willing to die to show His love for us. He was willing to shed His blood. The blood of the deity of creation was shed out of love for you in Christ's humanity. That's what you're participating in. When you take the bread and the juice this morning, you are being reminded, that's why we call this a remembrance of God's love and your need for God's love in order to have hope and life and eternity, righteousness, all those things that God promises to you. And here's the other wonderful thing. Well, there's a number of wonderful things, but another wonderful thing about the sacrament is this has power. Christ's spiritual presence is here this morning in the bread and the juice. Spiritual presence empowering you to go from this place to show his love to the world around you. I hope that on this day that we take the sacrament that you, reminded by how much Christ loved you while you were still broken, while you were still a sinner, while you were still lost and without hope, He did that for you, and now he will do it for others through you, through his presence. The presence that you and I are nourished for, empowered to, and equipped for as we go from this place.